Welcome to episode number 123, Finding Oneself. I am your host, Damon Soka. I will admit to really struggling over the last few weeks, and that's part of the reason for my lateness this week in posting this podcast. Now, I believe that I mentioned that COVID and I really don't like one another, even though we have spent several weeks together. It is always interesting to me how quickly we can deteriorate from life is wonderful to how did I get into this misery. It's also interesting just how quickly we can forget how good our lives really are. As if we are on top of a beautiful mountain with vistas all around us, and all we can see is the one big tree blocking only a part of our view. Life would be perfect if not for that big tree, and somehow that big tree becomes our focus, rather than the remainder of the view. We talk about how that big tree is in our way, why someone would let it grow there. Why can't we see past it, how ugly it is, and how someone should just cut it down? And we really miss everything else going on around us. We get this hypervision and intense focus on our own personal views, aches, pains, and suffering. Now, I'm not saying this is somehow out of character for someone to do. I believe that the hyperfocus comes naturally to us. When our body is out of sync and we are in pain, physical or emotional, our focus tends to be on the pain and finding a remedy. Our minds really, really don't like pain, emotional or otherwise, and our body is really built to seek out a remedy to it and to really hyper-focus on finding a cure. Now, this might sound a little strange but familiar. Mental illness tends to cause one to focus inward rather than outward. It can be a very selfish illness. Now, I don't mean that in the sense that I'm going to get mine and I don't care about anybody else type of selfishness. Driven more by ego and vanity, I mean the type of selfishness that comes with the internal strife. It's the, I really can't help anyone right now because I'm not in a place where I can give anything, physically, emotionally, or mentally. My entire being is focused on trying to fix what is broken and rebuild confidence and strength. Meaning that our selfishness comes from the fact that we have really not much to give. I've often worried that I have needed to spend so much time on myself, just keeping things together, that I feel that I have possessed little time at times for my children, my wife, and my immediate family. I've often felt that my illnesses have taken much of my life from me. Now I know several who feel the same. Our illnesses take far more than our emotional drive. They take moments, relationships, joyful events from us, and even the events we can remember become more of a hazy picture rather than a crisp memory of a wonderful time. I have pondered much concerning my own set of illnesses and at times that of others. I've come to the conclusion that those moments taken from me by this illness likely will not hold the same value once I've passed into eternity. Now, I'm not sure that my child's first word, first step, first birthday, or first anything will really be all that important in the next life. Don't hear me wrong. I hold dear the wonderful moments I have with my wife and my children, and at times I wish I could have possessed more of them without my illness. But I also value what my illness has taught me, and I don't think that I would exchange what I have learned from my illness for a few happy moments. What I mean when I say that is I don't concern myself with what I'm missing. First of all, there is no value in asking, pondering, or pining about what I didn't get to do in this life. It's certainly not going to breed happiness or anything of Value, of value emotionally. It does feed a good depression and cause greater misery, but that's really all it does. 
if you really truly ponder this life with the perspective of just how very short it is compared to our existence, I do not believe that those events or moments in time will really matter all that much to us. Relationships, yes, they continue into the next life, and so does life continue into the next life. Many wonderful events are really yet to occur in our lives, even into eternity, and that includes resurrection, one of those moments I'm especially looking forward to. Those small moments that might appear large for the moment truly will be a small thing when we pass into the eternal realms. I honestly and really don't think we will care much about those first birthdays, parties, holidays, sunny beach days, and moments of recreation. And we might fondly pass over them, but I doubt that they will be really discussed very much in the eternities. Most of the events the world holds to so dear really won't matter much once we've passed through death. In other words, put those moments you think you missed in front of a God-creating universes, and they're going to seem a little less important than the learning you needed from your illness. When you look back from your future eternity, much of the things we run to and hold so dear might not be as important as we now think. Yes, our covenants will matter, and I know that we'll find great importance in those moments, but the sunny days for us will be I think no more than a picture on the wall of an eternal landscape. No, I'm not intending to say that these moments should be discarded as of no value to our human existence. We need the flower for its beautiful ability to gladden the heart, but we also need the rain that allows the flower to grow. What I'm saying is that we tend to place high value on warm sunny days and a significantly lower value on the cold rainy ones because our bodies and really our minds are attuned to sunny days. This tuning of the mortal mind causes portions of our value system to be skewed just a little, at least concerning our experiences. When we look back from our future place in the eternities, we will be far more grateful that the Lord mercifully chastised us regularly. I think that when we speak to our future spirit children about earth, we will speak of the proverbial walking to school uphill both ways, meaning we will remember those moments that taught us that educated our souls and filled our hearts with just enough confusion and doubt that we turned to the Lord humbly on our knees. Now, in the moment of those knee-buckling events, like mine over the last few weeks, we really don't see the value, and we long for better days. Again, in the moment, our bodies and minds are focused on healing and finding a path forward, and not really what we might be learning from the experience. Learning, in a sense, is a strange event especially in the case of trials and tribulations, in that you can't see it until it's past you. And then often, the longer the distance from the event, the greater value you can see. Uh, similar in some ways, the effects of a trial, Abraham or otherwise, are truly kind of like a mountain climb where the vista slowly comes into view the further you rise above the trials and tribulations and those hills and valleys. Now, given all of what I've just said, I've come to this idea of finding oneself. It is one of the most popular mantras in the world of popular psychology. In fact, you can find a multitude of books and literature explaining the concepts, the purposes, designs, and paths to self-awareness and self-fulfillment. Finding oneself actually goes by many names in our society and throughout our world, but the intent generally is very much the same. This world, with its many competing voices, can and does become confusing at times. This is no truer than when religion is added to the mix of the voices. Lucifer has done a very good job 
at creating so much information that finding truth is becoming a needle in a haystack type of problem and it is not the quantity that is such an issue. It is that the information is pleasing to the mortal body and senses. And beyond simply pleasing to the mortal senses, the information can be subtle in its twisting of the truth. Much of what we read in the world is almost truths. So close to the truth that it can be difficult to pick out the truths from the falsehoods. I make this comment because many of the paths to self-fulfillment there are a few that look at the experiences of humanity as spiritual beings dealing with mortal problems. Most want the student to take a look at the mortal senses and see which ones are not feeding or being fed and then to alter our lives according to the missing elements. That is problematic for various reasons. First, we know that our bodies will not choose to pass through a fiery trial of faith or a path that requires rowing into a significant headwind. The body and mind will not deliberately choose a path that might cause pain, suffering, confusion, or even require faith. Faith requires that we do not have a full knowledge, and our minds do not like that state of existence. Our bodies avoid pain and suffering, and even the learning process, if it requires a sacrifice. We will not deliberately choose a course or path that might cause us to question or our purpose or continuously make significant changes in our lives, such as required by repentance and a change of heart. We are, by our very mortal natures, like electricity, always looking for a path of least resistance, and the gospel of Jesus Christ tends to be a very resistant path. The second problem these books often create is an alternate definition of happiness, meaning that rather than work to achieve happiness as heavens have designed, most of these books will redefine happiness based on the individual, mortal minds and bodies, and some subset of human experience. What most end up with is a mixture of pleasure and happiness that is close to, but really counterfeit to designed happiness. What they miss most often is the divine spiritual element, heavenly relationships, and personal revelation about who we are our specific purpose, and the designed eternal plan of happiness. Almost every individual in his life will pass through this finding oneself process. And some will pass through it several times in their lives. It is a natural desire brought about, I believe, by our eternal spirits to help us find the path of truth and eternal increase. The scriptures state that we are created or organized to have joy and even pleasure, but it warns against seeking pleasure over joy. Pleasure being happiness brought about by the mortal body and joy being happiness brought about by our spiritual nature and existence. The happiness problem that exists with most self-help pathways is that they often confuse pleasure for joy, mortal happiness for eternal happiness. We were meant to experience both. However, seeking pleasure over joy or a heavy pleasure and a little joy can be confusing to our spirit spirits who are having a mortal experience. Yes, we are going to feel fulfilled mortally, but spiritually we will feel deeply empty if we have not sought out joy with our experience. Now, Lucifer is very aware that we do need a little joy mixed in with the pleasure, so that the counterfeit feels real enough that we quit looking, learning, and listening. Most self-aware books, paths, and programs will help the individual consider important questions, 
but lead them to answers that provide only a portion of what they need spiritually, and then call that portion the full portion of it. The main problem with nearly every book talking about finding oneself is that they start with the mortal, and maybe mix in a little spiritual. They tend not to see the Savior as the starting and ending point, but simply adding a few of his Christian words and wisdom to the overall individual decision. These books, by their nature, are focused on self and inward aspects of how to attain happiness, and the author can no more lead you to happiness than the happiness they have found themselves. The teacher of happiness cannot point to any other happiness than what they have experienced, and for the most part what they have experienced is limited, at least spiritually. While we tend not to think about it, the Lord has already designed a perfect self-help experience and a book, several of them. But we don't look at it as a journey of self for some reason. We tend to experience it or view it as rules, authority, loss of choice and agency, loss of freedom, loss of individuality, and loss of self or life. Of course, that is exactly how Lucifer wants it to be seen. Even though the very nature of the gospel is individual and aids the individual to experience their greatest potential, because it is difficult, requires faith, requires deeply difficult trials and experiences, requires that we bridle mortal desires and our body's pleasures, Lucifer portrays it as a mournful path that has no real happiness in its end. It has no end value, and it is a significant loss of freedom to choose. The problem with Lucifer is that he places emphasis on the minor excitement found in free choice and ignores the much greater happiness found in the consequences and blessings of that choice. Lucifer would like us to think that true happiness is found in the choosing, when the true happiness is found not in the choosing, but in the events that follow the choosing. Choosing poorly causes significant issues, both short and long term, spiritually, and often mortally, although because of feelings of pleasure, they may not be immediately felt. Choosing correctly also causes significant happiness and peace, both short and long term, although, again, those blessings may not be immediately felt. Lucifer wants us to focus on the now, the immediate, and the pleasure benefits, and to avoid considering what our choices will mean much further down the road. Too often, self-help books do some of the same. If you look at happiness as defined by the Lord, and as defined by the world, there exist stark differences. For, instances, for instance, true happiness, or the Lord's happiness, requires sacrifice of some mortal desires. The world states that mortal desires should, in many ways, trump the sacrifices. Sacrifices require that we ignore self and look towards others and the future, rather than the moment. The gospel requires faith, and at times accepting that we walk by that faith without a full knowledge. The world and our mortal minds do not want to walk by faith, but by physical sight and mortal knowledge. It wants science and psychology to divine happiness, not a spiritual being. It desires to minimize the spiritual and accentuate the immortal experience. The Lord's happiness is more concerned with the spiritual and the needs of the spiritual body first, and then the physical one. The Lord's happiness accepts that at times, mortal suffering brings about wonderful changes in the soul, and that chastisement, or what we might call learning the will of the Lord, is far more beneficial in the eternities than just passing through life unavoidably ignorant. The Lord's form of happiness is often more equated with peace, the world's 
more equated with excitement and adrenaline. What we find is that the Lord's happiness is sometimes counterintuitive to what we find as happiness and mortality. The Lord's happiness requires self-discipline, sacrifice, trust, faith, and understanding that we are spirits in a mortal existence, and that our bodies do not possess the same desires as our spirit. While Lucifer's counterfeit happiness requires some of the same sacrifices, but not for the right reasons, and focuses on scientific happiness rather than spiritual understanding, finding oneself really needs to be more about finding oneself spiritually and then relating our spiritual natures to our mortal bodies, not the other way around. Now, before I sign off for this episode today, I do want to clarify that some of the techniques provided in these self-help books are valuable. I'm not discarding everything. Disciplining the mortal body in the sense of diet and exercise is never a bad thing, nor are some of the psychological methods used for avoiding reliving the past and forgetting and forgiveness. What I am attempting to portray is that one must be very, very careful using mortal methods to obtain heavenly happiness and allowing individuals to be experts when they know little of the spiritual experience. I don't believe that anyone who writes one of these self-help books sets out to write and write about more than their experiences and what they have found, but I do believe that they are often missing critical elements in the search for oneself, and those missing parts can lead one astray very quickly, and to redefine happiness in ways that leave much to be desired. I personally have seen far too many individuals settle for happiness that simply doesn't last, nor can it, and they must consistently return to the mortal self-help well to find another definition or another journey. I admit that joy and happiness is a journey, but starting the journey on the wrong path will not lead to true self-awareness, happiness, or anything like it. Ignoring that we are spiritual beings living in a mortal existence will almost always end up with a counterfeit happiness that leaves an empty feeling that just simply never goes away. So what does all this mean in the end? That maybe, just maybe our illness might be our path to greatest happiness, and that finding oneself, even if for now we cannot see it. May the Lord help you find that path, and remember to do your part so that the Lord can do His. Until next week.